Uh, the passage this morning is Psalm 23, if you would turn to Psalm 23. Um, I know we mentioned last week that we were going to be starting our series in Acts. We decided to uh, bump that uh, until next week. Um, we wanted to, um, we felt it was right for us to uh, go through a passage that will offer us a good reminder of what comfort actually is and what neediness actually is and how those two things just go hand in hand for us as a church. I said earlier, I said, uh, the church is nearest to God when she is at her neediest uh, before him. And so um, at Substance, really one of, our, one of our aims from the very beginning was to be a needy church. Um, so when it's uh, appropriate for us to have mornings where we lament, we want to do that. Uh, we don't want to gloss over things. Some sad events have unfolded this week uh, in the life of our church. Um, and we want to respond to that appropriately by going to passages that will speak to the neediness that it has surfaced uh, in, our, in our lives. So um, what a great place for us to be in. What a great place to be in such a, a, a posture of, of neediness before God. Again, it's, it's that thing where you think, oh, I don't like it. I don't want to be needy before God. And all the time God is going, man, I've been doing all this just to get you to that place. That's the place I want to get you to, right? So again, those are, these are uncomfortable areas for us. But what God does is he grows us more comfortable in these areas because we begin to know where our comfort is derived from, which is him. And so, man, he gives us words of encouragement in his word to grow us in these moments. So Psalm 23 is, is one, of those, one of those passages one of those passages. I, th I think we preached it before a few years ago. Um, but brokenness in all, of its, in all of its percentages, in all of its different forms, um, it exposes a, something in us, I think. It exposes a, a need and a longing for peace. And when I say peace, this is what I mean. I mean the quiet assurance that we are going to be provided for, we are going to be protected, and we're going to be preserved um, it's a kind of peace that comes with someone having compassion on you and taking care of you. Because many of us in our lives, we've lacked that because we haven't necessarily had a person that has cared for us in those ways. But in scripture, we see something different in the way in which God as a father, and more specifically to our purposes this morning in this passage, as a shepherd, how he cares for us. Is there ever a time when we don't long for everything to be all right? I mean, can you ever wake up one morning and say, you know, man, I'm just happy for everything to be the way it is, broken, fractured, you know? We, ne we never think that. There's never a moment in our lives we don't think, man, I just wish everything could be all right, you know? And then what happens is, is that Jesus breaks into a not all right world. He dies on the cross. He says, I have come to make everything all right. It's not all going to be all right, you know, today. And while we live in this particular not all right world, but I've given you a hope because of the cross, which means everything someday is going to be how 
everything was meant to be. In Psalm 23, what's so great about it is that it gives us this reminder of God's foreness for us, of sort of the godness of God, how big God is, but also how intimate God is to us in our lives. God provides for us. Look what it says as we read the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We just sang those words right now. And what this reminds us of is that as a shepherd, God provides for you in all these multitude of ways. And even today, he provides for you physically. The reason David, who wrote this psalm, is using the language of shepherd is because he was a shepherd. Right? This was a dude, before he got into his role as king and as conqueror, he was a guy that just tended sheep. Right? He wasn't raised in some prominent family. He wasn't the son of a king. That's not how he got into that position, which is typically how you got into that position, right? The son of the king became the king, not David, right? He didn't do all these fantastic things. He didn't get his master's degree or his PhD at an Ivy League school. He didn't spend spring break on the coast of Florida. Nobody voted David most likely to be king in his high school yearbook. That's not his story. There was no rags to riches story on the horizon for David at all. But all these years later, David, what he does in this psalm is what we need to do for some of us that have been maybe following Jesus for a long time. He returns to his roots. He was a shepherd because he tended sheep at one time in his life. And now he calls the Lord his shepherd. And by doing that, what is he doing? Well, he's doing what we need to do. He's identifying himself as a sheep. If he's calling the Lord his shepherd, he's also saying something about who he is. He's identifying himself as a sheep. And listen, it's not like David at this stage of his game didn't have some room to brag. I mean, this dude was barely out of high school when he was anointed king over Israel. He destroyed lions with his bare hands. He was hired to be King Saul's personal musician. He laid out a nine foot tall giant with a slingshot. I mean, his on the ground combat skills were so epic that people wrote songs about him. And not only that, but he also served the Lord so faithfully in his life that he was given this title by the Lord that all of us wish we could have, but none of us do because only David got it, which was that he was a man after God's own heart. And when's the last time that showed up on your resume? Right? But it's like after all his accomplishments, he almost, it's like as if he puts a match to all those things. And he says, Lord, as long as I have you, I have everything I need to satisfy. I shall not want. Notice he doesn't say, because the Lord has blessed me, I shall not want. We tend to have a what have you done for me lately kind of relationship with God at times, don't we? God is good when our life is good. In reality, God is good because he is our life. And when we hunger and thirst after things, it's not because we lack things. It's because we're trying to satisfy a hunger and thirst 
for something that only God can fill and quench. David knew here only God could satisfy his longing because only God could provide the thing that could satisfy it, which was what? God. So what David is tapping into here when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is our total inability as people to provide for ourselves. Which is why, again, he categorizes himself as a sheep. He doesn't say the Lord is my lion tamer. Because we, we tend to feel a little more comfortable with that. You know? Like I do, I would rather be a lion than a sheep at the end of the day. I don't like to think of myself as a sheep. I don't like to think of myself as wanting. I don't like to think of myself as having that many needs. I get it. I need God for some things, but I don't want to be that needy. The language here from David is that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because I can't provide anything for myself. It all has to come from God. And whatever God decides to bring me, it is enough to quench my desires. Interesting that he talks about sheep, isn't it? He's saying the only comparison I can find for myself is with one of the most helpless, dependent, and unintelligent animals God has ever created. Like, dude, there's animals that aren't great but aren't as bad as sheep, Davy. Couldn't you have come up with one of those, right? But look how beautiful and comforting and heart-soothing the imagery is in verse 2 because he puts himself into the category of sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for my namesake. Lying down in green pastures, being led beside still waters, the soul being restored and strength being revived because my basic creaturely needs have been satisfied. David is identifying here with God's fatherliness, his shepherding qualities. In fact, in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet says he will tend his flock like a shepherd. So the treatment, the way God treats you, the way God cares for you, the words that God wants to speak to you are like a shepherd. And then he says, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He considers who you are because he knows everything about you. Like Jesus, he's not trying to lay something heavy on you so that you go through life feeling the need to carry everything yourself. He's saying, no, that's not the way my heart works with you. I'm not a God whose heart works that way against you. I'm not a father who says, hey, I'm just going to teach you how to get it done, how to step out, how to make a man out of yourself, how to be a woman, how to take the world by storm. It's just not his heart. I think sometimes we'd be more comfortable if it was because that's what we've been modeled. Maybe with our own parents, maybe in the world. 
I think for, for some reason in our humanness, we have the tendency to think God doesn't identify with us like sheep, like he can't be bothered with our humanness. Now, all of you guys feel that way. Ronnie, how dare you speak for me? Yeah, I'm just going to speak for you on this one. We tend to think that God is looking down on us and saying, you shouldn't be that human. Like that humanness that you bring to the table, whoa. But when we identify him like David does as a shepherd, we, we see that he can't do any less than that. Identify with us in our humanness. And in fact, he does more because he is committing his righteousness to be the path that we walk down. So he's preparing us for something in our humanness and the way that he cares for us in his fatherliness. And David tells us why. For our sake? Does God do anything for our sake? If he did things for our sake, man, you'd have a God that was pretty jacked up in terms of his motivations. Right? If he, if he said, Ronnie, I'm going to deal with you according to how you're doing today. To which I'd be on my hands and you saying, please don't do that. Please don't do that. David tells us it's not for our sake. It's better than that. It's for his sake. The sake of his name, it says at the bottom of verse 3. It's the godness of God. It's so that God will be seen and known. Listen. If God is for God ultimately above all other things, it means I can trust him never to betray his character. His holiness, his righteousness, his graciousness, his loving kindness, his goodness, and his mercy. And you know when that helps us? That helps us when our guts feel like they're in our throats. That was a little gruesome, sorry. But a shepherd, and the Lord is our shepherd, provides for us physically. He gives us what we need. He also protects us. He protects us spiritually. Verse 4, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though. He could have phrased that any other way, but he said, even though. And maybe we should pause on those words for just a second. Even though. Has anybody ever said even though to you? Like, okay, here's this, but, but even though this. So what they're saying is they're saying in addition, the fact that this is a truth and a reality in your life, in spite of that, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Because if we're being honest when we read Psalm 23, we just want it to end after verse 3, don't we? How much would we love this passage if it was all green, pastures, still waters, soul restoration, and paths of righteousness? That's what I want printed on the next batch of substance t-shirts, right? But here's my question as we look at the text. Weren't we just on a path of righteousness were we just on a path of righteousness at the end of verse 3? What's odd is that this righteous path also leads us into a, a valley. Isn't that interesting? What does this tell us about the leadership 
of David's shepherd? Well, I think it says that he simply doesn't allow us to become just grazers that are just hanging out in the green pastures and laying down by those still waters all the time. Because you know what? We have grazing hearts. We like to feed. We like to be on vacation forever in green pastures at church with God. And we like preachers who tell us that what God really wants is to spoon feed us grass into our mouths with a shovel until we keel over and we continue to binge. But it's interesting what happens when we get to verse 4, isn't it? Because the problem with that kind of God is that it makes him a not very good shepherd, doesn't it? It would make God a very unkind shepherd. If God is truly the good shepherd of our souls, it means he protects us from that which threatens us from the inside and from the outside. And if you look down at verse 4, it doesn't say even if, does it? It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What this tells us is that the good shepherd guards his sheep. He wards off dangerous attacks from the enemy with his rod. He uses his staff to steady us and secure our steps. There's comfort. There's comfort knowing that evil and death cannot ultimately prevail when our guardian happens to be the one who has triumphed over those things. The reason why we have protection is because we have presence. What does it say? You are with me, he says. So the expectation here is that you will walk through seasons where the shadow of sin and death hovers over you. But you also have the expectation that it's something you walk through. It will pass. Right? God is not sitting on the cliffs in a lawn chair with some sum tea just rooting you on. I think we have that view of God sometimes, like he's placing a bet with his bookie on whether you're going to make it through. He's casually on the sidelines. I think we think our life is kind of like the Hunger Games sometimes, where God is just observing us from his tower with all the controls. But God is not an observer. He's not the guy with balcony seats watching you play act your way through life. He's not preoccupied. Do you know that? He's not refreshing his Facebook status while black clouds start forming around you. You are never alone, David tells us. He is walking with you. He is carrying you through the valley. He is beating down the wolves. He is pulling you back from danger. The valley, by the way, is temporary. It's a temporary passage. You walk through it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say even though you walk into the valley of shadow of death and get stuck there forever, I will be with you. He says, no, you are walking through it and I'm with you, the shadows will lift. There will be a dawning. The good shepherd will protect me because he loves me and cares for me because I'm a sheep and he doesn't do it from a distance. We can look to God and say, you are with me because he's in the trenches 
And he controls the depth of those trenches for us. Isaiah 43, 2, it echoes these words. It says, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Sheep who have the Lord as their shepherd have a secure future. And we can depend on him to preserve us. Look what it says in verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David comes through the valley to be greeted by a banquet table prepared and shared, by the way, by his shepherd. Even though the threat of his enemies still surrounds him. His head is anointed with oil. His cup overflows. There's an abundance and an extravagance that flows from the heart of the shepherd. Why do we think God is so stingy? Why do we think that? Why do you think that? Why do I live like that? Why do I think he's so stingy? This is what you'd expect if you were a guest at someone's house, right? This is what people back in that culture expected. They expected to experience rest and recuperation when they walked into somebody's house. Have you ever been to someone's house and it felt like they forgot you were coming? It's a horrible feeling. You get there and they're like, oh, hey. And you're like, wasn't this the time in the day that we, were, that we agreed on? That's not the picture we have of God here. He's the most hospitable host, right? A feast awaits the sheep of the good shepherd. His goodness and mercy, it will adorn us. It will be falling off of us as we walk through trials, knowing that even though the darkness descends, we are in the presence of the Lord forever. God preserves us. And because of that, we persevere. He is our peace. Eugene Peterson, he's a Presbyterian pastor, passed away, I think, last year. He said, perseverance is not the result of our determination. It is the result of God's faithfulness. Because when David got through the valley of the shadow of death, it wasn't like he was unaffected. It wasn't like, all right, I got through that. I'm ready to roll, God. Just go back to kind of doing what you do and I'll do what I do. We think that, though, don't we? No. God preparing a table before him in the presence of his enemies was completely and solely a work of God. Here's how I want to end today. How do we as a church return over and over and over again to the shepherd of our soul and guard against returning over and over again to the stirring of our soul? How do we do that? The temptation is stirring. 
We are drawn to stirring. Isn't it crazy? After you read this and you're like, I have the shepherd. But really what I'm most comfortable with is to go back to all my stirring. To go back to the thing that has no answer for me at all. It's so strange. It's such a testimony to the way our hearts work, isn't it? So how do we do that? How do we as a church, how do we return to the shepherd of our soul instead of the stirring of it? I think he says it in the first verse. I think we need to be sheep. I think we need to remember who we are. I think we need to accept who we actually are. Was David coming before God as a king here? Was he coming before God as a warrior? Was he coming before God as someone who had all of his ducks in a row? He wasn't. He was coming before God in the truest identity of what he was before God, which was a sheep. And you know, it's okay to argue with yourself about that. Argue with yourself. Let's argue. How does this help David to identify as a sheep? How does it help him? Well, because a king doesn't really hear a shepherd's voice. A warrior and a self-sufficient entrepreneur most likely self-identifying with that isn't going to hear the shepherd's voice. And our greatest problem as a church is not hearing the call of our shepherd. Turn with me to John 10, would you? Hard right, all the way into the New Testament. John 10. I pick up in verse 14. So Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. So to receive what God has for us, we need to receive it as who we actually are before God, which are needy people, sheepy people, sheepy people. What it says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Being a sheep and seeing yourself as that needy and identifying yourself as the way scripture identifies us for who we actually are. You know what it is? It's the safest place to be. It doesn't feel that way at first. It feels vulnerable. It feels vulnerable. It feels like I'm too close. It feels like I'm too naked. Well, you are. But, but here's the thing. You actually already are. You know when you'd like discover something about yourself that was true 
and you just found it out and, and then the realization of it is not like it's something that just happened. It's something that's like been there. Like when you have a stain because you ate lunch and the rest of the day you're walking around with a stain on your mouth and nobody was a good enough friend to you to tell you. In reality, you were a person with a stain on your mouth. That was your identity for the rest of the afternoon. So our identity is as sheep. And here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's not a bad place to be. It's the place to be. Because as sheep, we hear his voice. We have the humility to hear his voice. We have the humility to know what it is and when it is when he's speaking to us through his word. And you know what our response is? Our response, because he's gentle and because he's lowly of heart and because he has a rod and a staff and because he has proven himself to be trustworthy, what do we do? We follow him. We follow him. And we have the confidence to know that we will never perish and we will never get snatched out of his hand. A sheep gets cared for by his shepherd. You receive from him like a sheep. You walk through the valley like a sheep. You stand in the open fields of life, surrounded by all of your enemies and all your elements like a sheep. Being a sheep, not safe. There are other sheep. There are wolves. There are valleys. But there's always a shepherd. Are we going to stop trying to be king over our lives? Are we going to stop trying to be the warriors over our life? Well, I know that I don't want to be needy. I know that I want to be in control like a king, like a warrior. The problem with that is that kings and warriors aren't lying in green pastures beside still waters. Kings and warriors are not walking through valleys guided by the comfort of a shepherd's staff and protective rod. They're not celebrating at the banquet table prepared for them in the middle of adversity. They're trying to make their own way. They're trying to chart their own course. They're trying to fulfill their own needs. They've missed the benefits that come from being a sheep who's provided for, protected by, and preserved by the good shepherd, a shepherd that doesn't just give us a better life, but a shepherd who laid down his life. By being a sheep, you can be everything else God has called you and gifted to be. And of course, we see this in Jesus, in his life, in his earthly life down here how he was both sheep and shepherd. He needed his physical needs met. He was fully human, fully God. He needed his shepherd father to lead him to green pastures and still waters. We read that all the way through the gospels. He needed physical restoration. He needed his father to walk beside him in the valley of the shadow of death and be in his presence when he was crucified by his enemies. That's why Jesus is the good shepherd. Because he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, but he laid down his life like a shepherd. Jesus suffered so he could become our peace. He could replenish the inner workings and mechanics of our souls. 
I know if we all sat down together, you, you would raise your hand, you would say, Ronnie, I, I'm needy, I get it. I think we just try to move on so quick from that. I think the problem is that our need for being needy isn't strong enough. Remember when we sing that song, Come Ye Sinner? All the fitness he requires is to see your need of him. So this morning, we open up Psalm 23, probably the most popular psalm in all of Scripture. And we're reminded once again of who we are. We are sheep. Psalm 100 reminds us, it says, we are the people of his pasture. Thank God that I'm not the, the true shepherd of your souls. I'm just the one here to point to who your true shepherd is. And a pretty lousy job I do of it most weeks, let's just be honest. But that's my job, is to point you to the shepherd of your souls. Why? Because he makes us lie down. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in path of righteousness. He is with us. His rod and staff comforts us. He prepares a table. He anoints my head. And what does that do to me? Well, it brings me to a place where I say, I shall not want. I will fear no evil. I will be comforted. My cup will overflow. Goodness and mercy will follow me. I will dwell with God forever. Thank God that there's nothing in this life that can make that less truthful. Because there ain't. And that's my theological word for the day. We're going to do communion. I'm going to pray. We're going to do communion. Jeff's going to lead us through communion this morning. Um, and we're going to sing this amazing song called Lord from Sorrows Deep I Call. The, the band's going to sing it while we take communion. But if you can, if you can be listening to it, it really helped me this week. It was a helpful song for me. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being our shepherd. We thank you that you're so good to us in your, in your fatherliness towards us. that you do lead us beside still waters. We find ourselves in green pastures with you. You replenish us, you renew us. You also walk through the valleys with us. God, we're sorry that we think so wrongly of you. We're sorry that we think that somehow we have to maneuver and massage things in our lives that we don't have any control over. We're sorry that we are so eager to return to stirring rather than you as a shepherd. So God, once again, we commit ourselves to you. We say, Lord, we're needy. We're your sheep. Be our shepherd. Show us today. Show us this morning what it means to be a needy sheep who comes before your table acknowledging that we need to be nourished by the body and blood of Christ. We need to be reminded of the depth of kindness 
that comes from your heart because of Jesus on the cross and why it's our only hope. It's what we turn to when things take downturns in our lives. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you because in this we have all things and we find our deepest need met. So Lord, as we come to the table this morning, remind us of that. Be in our presence, Lord, because we need you and we don't need you any more or any less today than we've ever needed you. So God, would you show yourself to us? Would you allow us to feel the presence of your kindness and goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.